Podcast name played nobody. Part cash shit. Real cash shit. Real Lovey Smith shit. Oh Illinois God. always adjust. Badgers didn't adjust. Lost anyway. You heard me? Okay. Uh, podcast name played nobody's part of the Banner Society Network. We'll get uh, we'll get to the Illinois propaganda in a second. Uh, my name is Stephen Godfrey. That is Richard Johnson. We're part of the Banner Society. Podcast name played nobody. This is the hurry up. Are you ready, Richard? We're gonna hurry up. Believe it or not, slow week. Narrative galore. Yep. All right, let's go. Here's your real ass playoff teams, Richard. Clemson, forty-five to ten over Louisville. Oklahoma, fifty-two to fourteen over West Virginia. LSU, thirty-six to thirteen at Mississippi State. Alabama, we'll talk about it in a second. It's all about Tua there. Thirty-five to thirteen, deceptive final score because of Tua's injury. Penn State hangs on. 28 to 21 at home against Michigan and Ohio State. Um, for all of Saturday, I just wrote bye and almost thought I'd play the joke out. But yes, they did play on Friday night. They beat Northwestern, technically. Um, here's your good teams. And I'm going to get done speaking about the good teams. And then a couple of the fan bases that are loyal to PAPN are going to get mad. And we're going to try and explain what we're, what we're trying to learn. Okay? <laughs> Inarguably good teams. Ready? Oregon, 35-31. to 31. Huge win. Come from behind. On the road. Rivalry game in Seattle. Georgia. Horrible game. Horrific affront to the idea of football. 21 to nothing against Kentucky. Florida, 38-27. to 27, yeah. South Carolina. Auburn, 51-10 to 10, uh, against Arkansas. And Utah. The best team in the South, we think. 21-3 to 3 over Arizona State. Now, I know what you're thinking. A couple things. Man, Scani. We'll get to that in a second. And then also, we will. Richard. We are going to save this for the end of the show. I've created a new category because I'm allowed to do that. Right now it's called Undefeated but in Purgatory. Baylor's a 45-27 to uh, winner against Oklahoma State. Minnesota, 42-7 to against hapless Rutgers. You, yes, you're undefeated. I don't know what, I don't <laughs> know love what to you. do with you. I don't know we what to do with you. We love you and we'll you're figure, undefeated. We'll figure it out in a second, okay? Um, the, the I know you're good, but I don't know what to do with use category, which is where these teams might end up, or they might end up in the good teams. I'm going to let Richard figure that out in a second. Wisconsin tumbles, falls. We'll get to the, we'll get to the full segment in a second. 24, Just, 23, just Illinois just. in Champaign. Wake Forest, a two-point winner over Florida State. They're now 6-1. and one. And I threw in two G5s because this is what I'm allowed to do. It's my show. 45 to 30, Louisiana Tech's a winner over Southern Miss. That means they're 6 and 1. The problem Ooh. is they're 6 and 1 in the Conference USA. And party also, in, party also, in Rustin, baby. Are also 6 and 1 in Conference USA, and who knows what that means, is uh, Alabama Birmingham, 38 to 14 winners over a very bad ODU team. They're both 6 and 1. I don't know, man. Even in G5 standards, Conference USA is suspect. Um, Real fast, my G5 top five. I had Boise slated to come in at number two. Of course, they lost. I'm dropping them all the way (laughs) to the bottom, to number five. They lose to BYU on the road. Yet another year in which we tease the murder smurfs going undefeated, and it doesn't happen. My number one team is SMU, 45-21 winner over Temple. Uh, My number two team is Memphis, 47-17 against Tulane. Cincinnati hangs on, 24-13 versus Tulsa. They're pesky. Tulsa, squirrely. Proud of Tulsa. Mm-hmm. Uh, App State, 52-7. to Smacked ULM. Uh, App State, by the way, undefeated, just in case anybody wanted to know about it. All right. We have a bounty of things to discuss. The first thing that we're going to do, in timer fashion, because this is supposed to be the hurry-up, Richard, 
Give me the talking points out of Alabama. I mean, we're going to have to do timers within a timer, Richard. Give me the ti- give me the talking points. We're going to go three minutes, all right? There's a crisis. I yes. had text messages late last night about Tua from Alabama fans that I know. There's a crisis with Tua. There's, I, I mean, an exposure. Obviously, you're going to lose your, your Heisman caliber starting quarterback. You're going to be exposed. But also, I mean, Alabama didn't look good in really any phase of this game. And then also, LOL Tennessee. So let's go in three minutes, see what you can do. Go. Okay, y'all told me, y'all told me that Tennessee wouldn't hang. I wasn't allowed to even talk myself into Tennessee, maybe no! possibly covering in that game. Look, Tennessee bloodied it up. They uglied it up. If that quarterback sneak succeeds and doesn't turn into a, a hundred yard touchdown return, fumble touchdown return, like that game's a different story. I mean, okay, yeah, Tennessee was a mess. Maurer gets hurt, Narantano gets benched. I, I don't know. It's a mess. It's always going to be a mess with Tennessee this season. That's just how it is. Um, Tennessee, Jeremy Pruitt is one of, I think, three Saban assistants who had a legitimate problem with the refs. Lane Kiffin tweeted a blind refs gif. Will Muschamp was pissed off the whole day at the refs in the Florida game. We'll get to that. And Pruitt was pretty pissed off at the refs against Tennessee as well. Um, They gave uh, a really ugly, like, 15-yarder. They didn't run the uh, 15-yard rough in the passer penalty at Tennessee. They didn't run the clock for five seconds at the end of the second quarter, and magically a play that probably should have ran the clock out or gotten close only took one second off. It was homer clock management. Um, it was it was a weird, weird game that Tennessee was not going to win, but because of all these things that happened, also Pruitt, I know it's not a huge deal. Stop grabbing the face masks of your players on the sideline on national television. No, I, that's I another think, I think saving assistant thing. Jimbo did the same shit last year with his with yeah. his players in the Arkansas game. Literally, this isn't some snowflake millennial stuff. If you talk to legitimate NFL players, they will tell you that a head coach of a football team never grabbed them in the face mask like that. It's disrespectful. It's ridiculous. Well, it's it, it's also just demeaning. I mean, it's, it it really is sort of it. it People are going to react to this. That's fine. I'll go ahead and say it. I think it diminishes the identity of the player. It's a very weird control thing. And honestly, you don't really see it much anymore at all. Um, I thought Pruitt looked completely... I Here's another word I don't want to use by will. He was outclassed as a head coach. He let the moment consume him. Um, all those criticisms of, of Ed Orgeron the first time around at Ole Miss. Pruitt yeah, looked hard 10 times... Yeah. Right. He looked 10 times worse than that, where it's a defensive-minded coach, and all he knows how to do is motherfuck his quarterback. This was uh, this was everything that you were worried about in terms of character with Pruitt in these big time situations. However, uh, the defense did get muddy, and the defense has found a way to muddy games up. So at least there's a there's a um, a through line to these last couple games for Tennessee, and I think something that they can build upon as they move into a much easier schedule. To a high ankle out for Arkansas, almost certainly won't matter. LSU looms in ten seconds. Does he play against LSU? He's telling people he plays against LSU. I think he plays against LSU. I think he plays against LSU because I think Alabama has a, uh, hmm, how would I say this, Richard? Miracle way of getting guys healthy or allegedly healthy. (laughs) All right, here we go. Four minutes. Can you filibuster in four? About what? Scotty. Baby, I told y'all to adjust for them Alina and y'all ain't want to listen. Y'all talk me off of it on Wednesday, and yet here we are. Illinois, the first team to go over five yards per play. 
against Wisconsin, the first team to go over 15 points against Wisconsin. Wisconsin had four shutouts coming into this game. Bud had the amazing point um, that I believe it was uh, the average of the offenses that Wisconsin played was 92nd per S&P Plus, mm-hmm. um, and S&P is its own opponent-adjusted metric. Uh, that average went up to, I believe, 88 after yesterday, and we don't know what Illinois actually will be ranked offensive S&P this week. But Illinois was in the mid-50s of offensive S&P, so that average is going to go up. But Wisconsin played a team that had a hint of offense, and they couldn't win the game. Now, look, Wisconsin, you know, if you take, you know, (laughs) this is going to sound weird, but if you take the turnovers and the bad coaching decisions out, Wisconsin roughly outplayed Illinois. Illinois played well enough to hang around, but... When Wisconsin kicks field goals of 24, 37, and 20 yards, they missed the 37-yarder. When Wisconsin fumbles on the Illinois 31 and the Illinois 25, um, like playing good enough to hang around can literally win you the game. Um, Wisconsin, you've got to go for it on fourth downs on some of these like small situations. You get the best running back in the country. Like, what are we doing here? They've never been pressed into urgency, and it showed. It really did. They have yet. This was a really talented team that never had to make rash decisions quickly, and it showed. They punted on fourth and three from the Illinois forty-eight. You like you've got a really, really talented defense, or at least a really good defense, a really solid defense. Um, hopefully, you lean on them in some of these close fourth down situations. But this is the stuff. Georgia's got the same thing. Like. When, when you play the bully ball and you get into these like tight situations, that bully ball can kind of work against you if, if, it, if the game doesn't break right for you. Um, Wisconsin did not play well, but I don't want to uh, paper over the fact that, you know, we joke about the Illinois adjusted, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Look, Illinois mashed in the run game when they needed to. Um, all that, those linebackers on the field are really cool, but Illinois found ways to get their offensive linemen on those linebackers and really mash. Um, Wisconsin had a turnover that it turned into points. Wisconsin got a fourth down stop on Illinois, but it proceeded to fumble that away. I, I, I would like to see Bill's, uh, postgame win expectancy on this game. I'd like to think Wisconsin, uh, you know, has a, had a pretty healthy postgame win expectancy, maybe, um, so, you know, we, we will see what that advanced box score looks like. I'm very interested to see that. But, look, the Badgers did not adjust for Illinois, and uh, Illinois adjusted them like a cheap chi- chiropractor. All right, let's talk about Oregon for a second. Um, uh, this was a great game. This was a marquee game. I'm, I'm not – I'm sounding disingenuous, but I am – I'm also not trying to prop up the Pac-12. It was. It was a rivalry game. Oregon comes from behind. 21 to 10 in the final 30 minutes. That's what matters most here is that Oregon's offense sort of, they weren't underperforming. We've talked a lot about how good their defense was uh, or is, has been the last couple of weeks. I think Washington came in with a really, really nice offensive attack and it worked. This was just a good back and forth rivalry game. Oregon was the better team. Oregon still technically alive for the playoff. Feels like they're just going to sort of slot into the Rose Bowl or maybe lose to Utah even. Um You've got a bunch of notes here, Richard, and one of the things you want to talk about, just sort of justifying Oregon as a good team. I, I don't think we need to. I've I've said this, and we'll continue to say this. Oregon is an underthrown Bo Nix pass away from being undefeated. Okay, yep. this was a team that saw adversity yesterday, saw a good Washington team that has. I mean, 
we're we're really really bad, Richard. All of us are about reducing the Pac-12 to records as fast as we can to almost get rid of them in these discussions. Oregon is as <laughs> Oregon is as much right now coming from behind in Seattle uh, with the offense that you know was okay the last couple of weeks wasn't amazing. It's funny we haven't talked about Justin Herbert in that Heisman caliber sort of way in the last couple of weeks. They did everything they were supposed to. I, I, I believe they're very much alive. They are going to need help to get in. I think even to the playoff six right now uh, when the early rankings come out. But bully for you, you are justified for now. Yeah, I, I work at Banner Society, so I'm not allowed to say that a Pac-12 team is good. But I think Oregon's good. Like, they're solid, they're good. Um, Washington's yards per play by quarter in this game, 3.69, 9.9, 3.7. Like, it when when it mattered, Oregon buckled down and won this game. Um, Jacob Eason for Washington, credit to you, absolutely dropping dimes in this game on the play action. I think he was like 25 for 30 by the end of the game for nearly 300. Played very well. Um, Oregon, a great play call to really break this game open. Um, they kind of they motion a, a receiver halfway to the formation, and the corner playing in man coverage for Washington travels with him. But the corner thinks it's a real motion and goes all the way across the field to the other side of the field. But the Oregon receiver stops halfway by that kind of close tackle, offensive tackle comes back and catches a screen and scores a touchdown on like a cover zero blitz. It was a great play call matched with. A little bit of bad defensive football for Washington, matched with the fact that Washington also was in a cover zero, um, and they were blitzing absolutely everything. I, I loved that play call, um, and I loved the way that Oregon was able to break the, the game open with that play. It was back and forth. Um, at the end of the game, Eason uh, didn't have enough to, to drive Washington down the field, but it, it was a great game, and it was a great performance, and, and it's a game. It's a rivalry game, and it's one of those, this is why we love this thing, because you can get two rivals in a game like that um, in, in a, some crappy Washington weather, uh, and you can still see a good game. Uh, really briefly, though, uh, the three teams that you have to talk about in the Pac-12, and you do have to talk about them in the national conversation, a one-loss Utah team still just rocking and rolling, shutting out. Still sitting there. Still sitting there. Just whooping on Arizona State's offense. And then also, look, it, it, we can make a joke on the Wednesday show if we want to. It's USC. Right. Uh, they, they smoked. Here's the deal. They smoked Arizona. They beat that Utah team so they control their own destiny in the Pac-12 South. Their only conference loss is to Washington. It was on the road in Seattle. They've taken losses. The problem is that they, they took a loss by three points on the road at Notre Dame, which we wouldn't indict them for had they also not lost by three points in overtime on the road at BYU. All of a sudden... Narrative shift on USC as they hit the stretch of Colorado. Then they get Oregon, Arizona State, and Cal. We'll see what they are, but they're not what I thought they were. They're not what we thought they were. They're looking better on offense than they did to start the season. Um, All this to say, again, I feel like we're justifying the existence of the Pac-12, and we don't need to, Richard. Right. it's, It's attractive, interesting football deep into October, whether it has a playoff race or not. Like, if Oregon drops next week, whether there's a playoff conversation to be had or not, the Pac-12 is interesting, and I don't mean gawk at it, ACC Coastal, point, laugh, y'all want to see some dead bodies. Like, there's intrigue going on here. Ah, man. Speaking we'll have to get in the ACC this week, but my God. I mean, that's just like you discover a murder scene, you're trying to figure out who shot who first. Um, and and But everyone's definitely dead. That That's for sure. Clemson got away with the money. 
Okay, Penn State, Michigan, kind of hard to draw like a big talking point from. This was the Penn State offense we've kind of seen this year. They can disappear for long stretches of time, and they did. They can still be really, really effective, explosive, and fast, which they were. Um, James, uh, James, uh, James uh, Franklin was really, really, really like quick to credit Don Brown as many times as he's gone up against him in the post game because I think the first thing he knew he was going to encounter from the media was, "Hey, your offense just." left it was just gone well yeah i mean with the don brown defense everybody's really quick to say oh they're really good against bad teams but when they play a good team you know or a team of athletes they get absolutely smoked yes penn state took the top off this defense um a few times especially in the first half with big chunk plays and and one-on-one matchups with wide receivers against safeties they were able to isolate those plays and michigan was not able to get home with its front before you can try to take the top off on the back end um, that is, that's how Michigan's gonna play defense. Get over it. Um, Penn State offensively though, Richard offensively second half offense for Michigan, not bad at all. No, no, it, they all in the second half. I was I was pleasantly surprised. I was kind of paying attention more to to the Texas Kansas game to because the third quarter of the Michigan Penn State game was like really weird. Like it, it felt that like nothing happened for like a a long period of time in that game, it was kind of like, you know, they're still trying to like figure each other out in the third quarter. And then, you know, we got an interesting fourth quarter. Um, So, but I looked up every time I looked up, Michigan was like driving and I was like, hold on, wait, what? Where'd this come from? Yeah. Um, So I, like, I I have not gotten a chance to go back and rewatch it. I'll rewatch it early this week sometime. Um, But you know, on its face, you're impressed with how Michigan played um, I think you're impressed with how Penn State played in that environment. I think for a good team, you would like Penn State to maybe show a little, you know, clutch dropping and kind of shifting it into another gear and getting away from Michigan. But look, if you don't drop a touchdown in the end zone, that's a tie ball game. I mean, it's it's like having a <laughs> Penn State's like you you bring a bazooka to a knife fight, which is awesome because you're always going to win. But the bazooka works like 33 percent of the time. So you might also have to fist fight someone with a knife, or the bazooka might work. Um, this is going to catch up with them eventually, by the way. The name of that is Ohio State, unfortunately. Richard, let's jump around a little bit. Um, really fast, I'm going to make you mash together the Georgia situation and the Florida situation just to give me an idea of the SEC East. What do I need to – hey, how mean can I be about Georgia, or was it the, the really poor weather and the lack of, of any passing in this game? Well, like, I <sighs> – I kind of would like to be nice to Georgia in a sense of they were able to prag they were able to pragmatic their way to a butt whooping. I mean, they rushed for I think it was like six yards per carry. Like, I get that the passing game is ugly, um, and and we'll get to that. Especially they're they're into the bye this week, but we'll really get to that um, when we tasting menu Florida Georgia. Um, no, Georgia did what they needed to. Georgia was like, why the hell are we throwing in this game? It's not working. The weather's crap. Let's just run all the way over them. We have one of the best running backs in college football in DeAndre Swift, and he ate. Um, but the one thing I'll, I'll say there is I don't buy the weather as an excuse because Florida and South Carolina threw the ball all over the yard earlier in that day in the exact same weather. Um, you know, and, you know, I mentioned the refs earlier with Will Muschamp. Will Muschamp's got some gripes about the refing in that game. The refing was suspect. But look, the refs did not overshoot open wide receivers deep that had burned Florida safeties in the first half of that game. South Carolina had really every chance 
to not only just be in that game, probably win that game um, and, and spring a different kind of upset than they did last week because there are some explosive plays that were, you know, really this close from actually connecting. Florida, two defensive ends out. Defensive tackle goes down hurt. Um, the linebackers are suspect. Georgia may be able to exploit that next week. Again, we'll get to that. Um, but yeah, I mean, that that's the kind of situation in the SEC East. Things kind of hold serve um, in, a, in, a, in a pure 30,000-foot records perspective. But the way mm-hmm. it happened, I think, is kind of interesting enough to kind of touch on and see, huh, well, that's a little bit different than the script we had laid out. Uh, who is Brent Deerman? Why do we need to know about him? And even though Kansas lost the game, did Les Miles actually make a a tactical move with his coaching staff midseason? Yeah, I, Les Miles deserves a lot of credit for this. Basically, Les Koenig was the offensive coordinator uh, up until last week, in which yeah. he was fired by Les Miles. Um, important to mention. Important to mention here to the audience. Les Koenig was the OC after Miles' first choice, who was Chip Lindsley, who agreed to the job then got in on the Troy job, got the head coaching job. Yeah, and and so, in a sense, Brent Dearman is the third Kansas offensive coordinator in 10 months. Um, Look, Les Miles deserves a lot of credit for making this move, to be honest with you. Um, Dearman is a former NAIA, NAIA coach who quite literally wrote the book on the RPO. Um, Dearman, Dearman was not an on-field coach. He was an analyst, but he was instrumental in the way that these analysts can be with literal game plan decisions. So it, it, it depends between schools, how much input an analyst can actually have. Usually analysts can advance scout or, or, or self scout, um, throughout the season, your team, um, and those two things you just mentioned that that's the majority of what an analyst does is you're either you're either writing you're you're scouting out a team that's three three opponents away or you're just constantly looking at the team that you work for and scouting them as if you were playing them. Yes. Um Kansas Kansas's quarterback said after the Boston College game that Deerman had like a massive impact on the game plan. That is that was Kansas's biggest points output and and most uh yards per play output for the season to date. Um and so Les made a move earlier this season, uh, or excuse me, earlier this week, and installed Deerman as the offensive coordinator. They put up 48 points on uh, on Texas. We're really this close to winning the game on Texas, uh, and Texas was able to kick a field goal at the end to 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 put him over the top and win the game. But this is something to watch coming down the stretch of the season. How does Kansas improve with Deerman as the offensive coordinator uh, with these RPOs and, and the way that they want to play, which is wild given less miles is less miles. It worked. Uh, also, you think Tom Herman's going to fire Todd Orlando? I would boy, not man. be surprised because that That's is, it hasn't been good. It really hasn't been good this season on defense for Texas. I mean, the DBs don't really look like what they're doing. No, their secondary sucks. Injured, thin, but also just bad. Yes. Just a thought. I mean, this is the point. This is really the point in which you've been at that job long enough. You, you brought the guy with you. The only time he's ever thought about leaving was to take the Houston job that Major got. Might be time to make a change. Just saying. This is the this is the Alex Grinch ish type moment where you go you shift and you're either a lot better for it or even if you're worse for it I don't think anybody blames you so it'd be really interesting to watch Texas down the stretch um, Memphis Memphis. Memphis okay um, I've got SMU at the top Memphis I felt like had the better stronger win just by a bit um, this stretch in the American Richard like 
I don't want to interchange these teams because I want to give them all their 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 you know due time and justice. But that Memphis SMU, SMU game, it's in two weeks. Oh my gosh, it's going to be amazing. Yes, um, sir. Yes, sir. Memphis beats uh, Memphis beats Tulane by thirty. Tulane was really good. Um, this final stretch, by the way, they don't play Cincinnati until uh, Black Friday, so that's going to be an absolutely amazing game. Um, Man, going through your notes and looking through the stats in this game, I think Memphis might be the best team in the American, and I really like Cincinnati. Look, Memphis absolutely uh, exploded all over Tulane. I'm going to tell you right now, Kenneth Gainwell, you better know that name because Memphis has been churning out running backs. Daryl Henderson was incredible last season. The Henderson's backup last year was also pretty darn good. Uh, kind of under the radar there. Gainwell, 104 of Memphis's 112 sack-adjusted rushing yards yesterday. 203 of 358 uh, receiving yards by Gainwell yesterday. Nine catches on 10 targets. The next closest wide receiver had three catches on seven targets. Um, and the next closest yardage total for a receiver was 57 yards besides Gainwell. They lined Gainwell up all over the field, slot out wide, um, uh, obviously in the backfield. He had an absolutely perfect back shoulder catch that he had beautiful balance on and, and ran away from Tulane. Didn't score, but but ran away from Tulane um, until he was caught at the end. He will probably lead the nation in yards from scrimmage besides Chubba Hubbard at Oklahoma State this season. Pay attention to Gainwell. Pay attention to Memphis. They're really fun. They're really explosive. I mean, this is the Memphis that it's been the last yeah. few years. Okay, so let's figure out Memf- uh, Memphis. Let's figure out. Uh, we know Memphis is good. Figure them out. Minnesota and Baylor. Um, as we close out the show. All right. So he, I was playing with the schedules last night. I'm trying to figure out. First off, it's completely arbitrary to compare these two teams. They just happen to be in the same circumstance. There's no reason they can't both be one thing or the other. However, that's not fun. That's not what the media does. Richard, I'm going to give you two non-conference schedules, okay? So the first is South Dakota State, Fresno State on the road, and Georgia Southern at home. Sheesh. Okay? I know whose schedule that is. The second is Stephen F. Austin at home, UTSA at home, and Rice in Houston. Okay? So it's pretty obvious which is which. I'm going to lean towards Minnesota there as the better of those two non-conference games. Just if if by nothing else you went to Fresno, I guess, I can give you that, right? And Georgia Southern's a pesky option team. You you hung on and beat them by three points. Like, all right, this is where it gets hard to figure out what's going on, all right? It really comes down to the value you're putting into the meat of each one of these conferences. All right, let's go Baylor first. This is what we've got. They have a buy coming up this week, by the way. So this argument is only going to persist. <laughs> Iowa State, a two-point win at home. All right? A healthy 31-12 to win at Kansas State. Okay. A double overtime win with Texas Tech. Okay. With some, with some ref fuckery there. Okay? And then a very satisfying, hey, you got over that, that typical hump, 45-27 win over Oklahoma State on the road at in Stillwater, all right? Let's compare that real fast to at Purdue, a seven-point win. Purdue's kind of bad this year. Uh, a 40-17 to whooping of Illinois at home. Oh, a 34-7 to whooping of Nebraska at home. And then a blowout of Rutgers on the road, whatever, okay? Now, I can read you the remaining schedules, but you don't need to know them, but just, just know this. They're all backloaded. Okay, so for instance, Minnesota has not yet to play 
a Wisconsin team that we now know is not playoff level, but still very good. Iowa and Penn State. All those games haven't happened yet. And then Baylor, of course, has yet to play Oklahoma. They have yet to play Texas. There's still some pesky games left against West Virginia and TCU and the like. Okay. I'm going to lean. Look, I'm not. I'm going to tell you. I'm going to cop out briefly because I don't think I'm ready to parse these teams yet because I don't. I'm not sure what Minnesota is. Minnesota, the front half of that schedule. But do we know what either one of the? This is my point. Do, is it? I think I have know? a better handle on Baylor than I do Minnesota at this. Why? Point. Because I think that Minnesota needs to. Minnesota deserves credit for looking better in the last two weeks, but I want to make sure that it, that they're doing it in a sustainable way. Okay. Um, Minnesota's got all those one-score wins that they seem to have moved on from in the last two weeks. Um, they absolutely dropped the hammer on Rutgers, which you're supposed to do. I want to give them credit for that. Uh, they won last week big again. Like I, I think Minnesota is a team that has taken a next step. They were, again, unworld- otherworldly in the red zone. Four or five, four touchdowns yesterday. Um, created some defensive scores as well. So, yeah, I think I think Minnesota's right there where uh-huh. you can kind of say definitively that they are an above-average to good and, and probably good team. Um, Baylor, on the other hand, I think we know that Baylor won this game the way that I asked Baylor to win this game, I think, on the tasting menu. They won this game kind of going away. Yes, they, yeah. had, a, they had a scoop and score, but look, 9.9 yards per play. They had a fucking first down per play yesterday. Um, they, they had a 20, 24 yards per completion on 13 completions yesterday. Uh, let's list off the explosive gains here. 63, 78, 64, 44, 25, and 73. Only the 73 was on the ground. They were explosive in the pass game. Uh, the 63 was actually a holding on a touchdown that they stuck on the 20 yard line. Uh, Baylor then took over and scored on the very next play. Um, I think Baylor's good and I think Baylor can win in multiple ways. I, the jury is out on Minnesota. I don't want to say they are or they aren't, and I don't want to say that they can't be. Well, here's the problem. Here's the problem. We need referendums immediately because we're the media, and we're basically like, you know, we, this is what we feast upon. We are, you know, subspecies. We need to constantly create and derive new narratives. The problem is this. One, Minnesota's on a bye. Then they go, or sorry, uh, yeah, M- Minnesota has Maryland. Then they're on a bye, okay? So a bye and a half. Baylor's on a bye, and then they have West Virginia at home, a game they probably should and will win, and then a, a, a TCU team that I don't know about. Okay, yeah, I don't know. Not until November 16th do they see a ranked Oklahoma team, and then uh, November 9th is when Minnesota plays host to the Penn State Nittany Lions. Here's what we need to accept, and I guess we'll leave it on this note. It's okay we don't know. I think that's fair to say. Those games are going to be overhyped relative to probably the the value of those matchups, and that's okay. That's part of college football. There's no hey, by the way, there's nothing wrong with a really cool hey, look at this major game day in Minneapolis, Minnesota against a Penn State team. That's fine. You know what? If they turn out to be fraudulent in some capacity, they still won all those football games, and I guess that's okay. However, I think, and unless you tell me wrong, Richard, it's also okay just to say I don't know, and I'm not putting you in a tier with. One loss, Auburn or Florida or Oregon. I think right. that's fair as well. I'm I'm not ready to put them in the tier of the teams that I know are X, Y, or Z. And that's fine. Yeah. You win one of those games, we're there. 
I'm not saying the Gophers can't get there. I'm saying they're not there yet. Got to show it. Got to keep showing it. And you've you've shown uh, our, our favorite word, proof of concept, so far in the last couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Keep going. Um, if you're done, I will send us out on the moment of the season. Thanks uh, to the I, Gophers. I will just say this. We don't know what those two teams are, Richard. We know they didn't blow a 24.5 point spread <laughs> at Illinois. Take us home. We absolutely did. Uh, Minnesota, we'll send you out on this. Minnesota, for, for what they've done in their record, absolutely moment of the season yesterday. Yeah. Uh, they're they're up a million points on Rutgers. They put in a, a holder named Casey O'Brien to hold a, an extra point, I believe, uh, near the tail end of that game. He's a four-time cancer survivor. Um, it came for his left knee that had to be replaced. Uh, it then came back multiple times. He fought and he won and continues to win. He walked on at Minnesota, I believe, was given a scholarship um, by P.J. Fleck. P.J. Fleck is, is noted and should be commended for the kind of creative ways that he gives players scholarships both at Western Michigan and now at Minnesota. Um, he held in the game against Rutgers, and then he came off the field, and and he embraced P.J. Fleck, and they both hugged, and, and he's weeping. P.J. Fleck is weeping, like visibly crying. Um, I, it, it was beautiful. It was an absolutely beautiful human moment on a football field. And it's one of those things that kind of keeps you coming back to this sport and, and, and this grand drama that, that the sport can come. This, this game was of no doubt ever um, and, and gave you no reason to really watch for the on-the-field product. But this moment that happened was, was so, so special. Um, and if, if you don't get a chance... Or if you get a chance, go to the Big Ten Network's Twitter feed, and, and they have the video in full. Um, it's gorgeous, and grab some tissues. Richard, if, you're, uh, if you've taken us to a place where college football is a good thing, then that's where we're going to stay, and we're going to leave it there until Wednesday. I'll see you then, sir.